Well, we are continuing our trip back in time. Because if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked with Heidi Hollis, who was one of the very earliest guests of Spooky South Coast. Well, tonight, we're going to go even further back in time. We're going to go all the way back. We're going to have the second guest that we ever had on Spooky South Coast. We're a guest from our second show. I don't remember the exact order, because we had two guests that night. I don't remember if he was first or second. I think he was second. But we're going to go with, you know, the second guest of all time, because we have Paul Eno joining us uh, tonight on the show. We're going to be talking about all kinds of paranormal topics and Paul, and find out what Paul's been up to in the 11 years since we've talked to him. And we'll also take your calls, your thoughts in the chat room, your questions, and, of course, whatever else comes up along the way. Episode 494 of Spooky South Coast starts right now. Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. And when I said we were going old school tonight, I wasn't kidding. Because it is just myself and the silent assassin, Matt Costa. It's like 2006 all over again. Which, the only difference is now I'm supposed to know what buttons to press. And I just am not pressing them correctly. So try that one. See if that works. Does that work? Hey, it sounds like it's working. Remember back then, though, when you were sitting over here? And you had to do all the work? <laughs> I do, I do. Evan was and yelling at you about there being dirt in the chamber? Right. The buttons haven't really changed too much. Remember when... Uh, There's more of them, I guess. Remember when I used to do the show standing up over there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was I was yeah. going through YouTube and looking at some of the old videos, and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember when I used to stand up. Now, right. I, now I couldn't stand up for the Week and Weird segment, let alone for the whole show. Ten years ago, we had a lot more energy. We did. Yeah. And <laughs> a lot less stomach, in my case. So uh, we are here to talk about the paranormal, as we do each and every Saturday night, as we have for the last 11 years. And as I mentioned, joining us in just a bit will be Paul Eno. We're going to be talking about some of the, well, kind of everything in the paranormal. Although, when we had Paul on before, if you remember, Matt Goss, I don't know if you recall all the way back 11 years ago, but when we had Paul on the first time, the discussion really got going. We, We talked about a variety of different topics, but we really kind of zeroed in on talking about quantum theory, which was the first time that I ever really had discussed it with anybody when it came to ghost theory, is the idea of there being multiple universes rubbing up against each other and that 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 could be what we're experiencing when we're encountering a ghost. And even in those early beginning stages of the show, that really changed my mind on a lot of things. And that really got me thinking already right out of the box in my early stages as a paranormal research person, thinking to myself, well, we don't have to assume that they're dead people, because it could be a variety of different things. There's a variety of different possibilities. And so I've never kind of lost that. So we have Paulino to thank for that. And and episode two of Spooky South Coast, I still can't talk all these years, to thank for that as well. And I'm just thinking back in my head when it was all happening, saying to our myself like that was a great conversation but if we keep doing shows like that we'll never last if we keep talking about all these weird alternative theories to ghosts we'll never stick around past a couple of months 
What, what was our original goal? We wanted to just make six months. Was that the idea? Um, I'm trying to remember um, <laughs> what Evan Evan uh, told us the 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 definition of success was I've, or the time period. I think it was like six months. I thought kinda... I thought it was even shorter. I thought it was only like three months. Really? That sounds right. Like that if we uh, if we can make it that far, we should think that we right. were okay. The, or if... the secret to success is not letting people know that you're on the air at the station, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or yes. just going not not letting them not forget. exactly not letting them know, but just going under the radar of pretty much everyone here at WBSM. Here's here's how the here's how the and original... then just be like, oh, you can't get rid of us now. We've been on for that. We've been on for six months. You gave us a key. Yeah. It's too late now. But if you remember, that's kind of how the the uh, the timeline went for us in the early days. You know, it was uh, it was in September that we got the call, and and uh, toward the end of September of two thousand five, do you want to do a show? What do you want to do a show on the paranormal? Really, what ghosts and stuff? Yeah, sure. So it was like the end of September that that conversation happened, and then we took a couple of months to kind of plot out what it was we were going to do, and kind of you know get audio stuff ready, and you know take those promotional photos out by my shed that I still haven't painted eleven years later, and all these different. You know, avenues of what we wanted to do, get them all, all those ducks lined up in a row. And then I think it went from September to, okay, when do you guys want to start? Okay, all right, let us know and we'll talk about it that week. And then they forgot about us all the way until that time we showed up and the door was locked. <laughs> right. Which was like 2011. So then it's like, oh, you guys are still on? Okay, well, we'll give you a key. And like, right. now it's, you know, I think they've forgotten again. Did we have a big guest or something? Is that what happened? Do you remember that night? That was the night we were. I, I was just talking about very... this with Brian the other day. We were go- we were going to have on uh, Sandman Kelly, who was planning this big excursion out to where the Titanic was. Oh right, yeah. and it, it, it took a lot of finagling to be able to line him up to be the guest on the anniversary of the Titanic sinking, and we were going to talk about it, which was being planned for a year out. They never ended up doing the investigation, but it was going to be. You know, the following year after that, we ended up having, and we promoted the show for like two weeks because we had missed the week before because of baseball. So we were promoting like we're going to be on, we're going to talk about this, and then we showed up and nobody was here and the door was locked. <laughs> and we called everybody yep. that we knew that worked here, and nobody was home on a Saturday yep. night. And now we have fobs. <clears throat> now we're fancy. Yep. So now they can't stop us. So the good part is, who would want to? What, stop what, us. Want to stop us? Yeah. Well, I mean, they can't stop us at this right. point. Can't we'll stop. just find ways around it. There's no stopping what can't be stopped. We're, we're, 600, we're, <laughs> we're six episodes away from 500. We're getting there no matter what. Right. It's it's going to happen. And then whatever goes after that, we'll be like, whatever. What happens when we hit 500? <laughs> um, do we start going for 600? Do we start going for 1,000? Or do we say, you know what, 500 episodes... It's all gravy there, from this point. I think there needs to be something that um, dramatic. Either I don't know. Maybe maybe one of us should take up a drug habit. Just you know, so we have that behind the podcast. Right. We're gonna you know? we're gonna need the special. Right. That's that's that goes without saying. We uh, we actually have uh, we have a guest planned for the 500th episode whenever it comes along. You know, because we have some scheduling changes coming up with events. But when this 500th episode does happen, we're, we're basically looking at it as like a birthday party to ourselves because we didn't really throw ourselves a birthday party this year. So we're going to have a special guest on 
who we just had on recently, but whatever. It's our birthday. We can. It's our special day. We can do whatever we want. <coughs> but I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Suit our name in the chat room. Go for 666 episodes. Uh-huh. When we get to 666, like that's gonna. We're gonna have to book a really weird guest for that night. We're gonna have to get like whoever's in charge of the Church of Satan now, or Linda Blair. <laughs> she she was nice when when we got to meet her at Terracon. Maybe she'll come on. Yeah, I don't see why not. <coughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna keep coughing throughout the whole show. So I just want to let everybody know. Just want to remind everybody that next weekend we will not have a live show. I'm gonna try and see if we can put something together taped, so at least we'll have a podcast and, and something airing on WBSM. But we will not be here in the Spooky Studio live because we'll be at Salem Con which is taking place at the Hawthorne Hotel in Salem. The VIP package, the ghost hunt package, all that stuff sold out. However, you still can get tickets for the day of event. So on Saturday the 22nd, you can come down to the Hawthorne Hotel. You can see all the vendors that will be there. You can talk to all the paranormal celebrities that will be there. And you can attend the lectures that will be taking place as well. So all of that is available if you still want to try and get tickets to that. Just go to mghparanormal.com. That's Mass Ghost Hunters Paranormal. mghparanormal.com. And you can get tickets to the actual event itself, to the actual Saturday day of convention. There are also tickets still available for in May, May 12th to the 14th, the Provincetown Paracon, which will be taking place at, you know, we're going to be taking over all of Provincetown that weekend. So if you have always wanted to go there, or maybe it's been a while since you've been there, Come on out and take part in that. The Kindred Spirits VIP party will be happening Friday night from 8 to 11. And then on Saturday, there will be the actual conference day itself with lectures and all that kind of stuff going on. A ghost hunt Saturday night. And then on Sunday, we're all going to try and get together for a little bit of breakfast and all that stuff. I might have to jet out because I might have to be involved in a filming that day. But Amy Bruni, Adam Berry, they'll be there. Stephanie Burke, John Brightman. Greg and Dana Newkirk, we're all taking over Provincetown for the weekend. Sam Baltrusis, he will be our fearless leader that weekend, and we will own that town. So you can still get tickets to that as well. Just go to provincetownparacon.com. And if anybody out there is looking for a unique sponsorship opportunity to directly advertise to the paranormal community, Sam still has a couple of sponsorships open. So maybe you make paranormal gear. Uh, maybe you have a paranormal group. You can get involved with that. And Sam is actually going to be – we're giving away tickets to the Paracon, to the Saturday Paracon, right here on Spooky South Coast and on our social media, SpookySouthCoast.com, on our Twitter feed, at SpookySC, on our Facebook page, all of that. So join us across social media. Just go to SpookySouthCoast.com. You can find all that. And a little bit later on this week, we're going to start giving away tickets we're going to, I think we're going to do it, we'll give away a pair on the show, and then we'll give away a pair during the week, each week leading up to the Paracon. So, you have a chance to win, but I also recommend that you get those tickets fast, so that you don't miss out. <coughs> you can probably still hear me cough when I do that, huh? I cough pretty loud. So, Matt Costa, when was the last time you were in Provincetown? Um, I went there a couple of years ago. I was there two years ago to do a lecture at the library, and I just drove right to the library, and then I drove right home again. 
So I'm really interested to have some time to spend there and see how things have changed since the last time I've been. But all I can remember is the last time I went getting ice cream and going to the candy store. Yeah. Which I still plan on doing. Are you going to do the tower? I'm thinking about it. I've never done it. Is there an elevator or just stairs? Just stairs. Yep. Pilgrims weren't big on elevators? No. No. I guess it's, I'll have it's to quite, do it. It's quite a hike. I guess I'll have to do it. I'll be all right. If I can climb those pyramids in uh, oh, right, Belize, yeah. I'm sure I can climb that yeah, thing. No problem. Well, it depends on if you hit the candy store before or after. Right. Uh, ice cream and candy comes after. All right. Well, that uh, those events are coming up, so please join us for both of those events. <coughs> Hope to see you all next weekend for sure. Uh, and uh, I'll be presenting. By the way, I announced last week on the show, and I mentioned today uh, on social media, I'll be presenting a new lecture that I've never done before called From Fox Sisters to Ghost Brothers. How modern-day paranormal investigation is just modern-day spiritualism. So I'm sure I'll anger some people and make some other people think. That's what I try to do at Salem Con. And then when I go to the uh, Ocean State Paracon in July in Harrisville, Rhode Island, then I'm just trying to present something that will keep people interested while they're coming in to cool off in the air conditioning. That's my goal then. Right, just to be slightly, slightly entertaining while people cool off. Right, that's no people. I always, I always uh, have fun because it's always a different audience. You know, when you go to different places and give presentations, and our guest Paulino, who uh, we'll bring on in just a second, he will vouch for that too, because he goes around and he gives a lot of different presentations and, and him himself and his and his son Ben, they go around talking about different topics and I'm sure that they can tell you the same thing that depending on who your audience is really depends on where the conversation can go. We have ideas of what we want to we have ideas of what we want to talk about, but then when you see the way the the audience is reacting, it kinda changes your mind a little bit and it kinda changes the direction of where you can go. And I've been in some libraries where I start doing a Paranormal 101 presentation because that's what the library wants, but then I'm looking around and I'm seeing that all these people that are out there, they're all kind of nodding their head and rolling their eyes, and they're people that I've seen at other things. I'm like, well, you guys know all this, so let's take it a little bit deeper. And that's one of the advantages of kind of knowing the audience is that you can make those changes on the fly. So that's why I'm trying to come out of the gate at SalemCon with something that will make people think, because these are all paranormal people. They're all people that know what they're doing. And they're all people that uh, certainly have a history of already scratching their heads at some of the things that I've been saying. So I think we have Paul Eno joining us now. Paul, are you with us? Yes, as far as I know. Oh, you are. Sounds great. And uh, and Paul, I was just saying, you know, that when you yourself and Ben, you are, you guys are out on the lecture circuit. You are out talking to different audiences all the time. Sometimes when you're talking to people, you can tell that you can kind of push the boundaries of the way you need to explain things and really push the boundaries of what you can discuss. And I'm going to say that tonight, 11 years after we had you on the show for the first time, (laughs) I think that we can push the boundaries a little bit more because we are, I don't want to say much more knowledgeable, but we're far less unknowledgeable than we were the last time that we talked to you. Well, that may be. I don't know. (laughs) 
Well, I was just saying... That's a long time. Time flies and you're having fun, Tim. Oh, absolutely. And I was saying at the beginning of the show that, you know, the first time that we had you on was the first time that we'd really learned about quantum theory when it comes to the paranormal. And, and, you know, I remember saying to my co-host, Matt Costa, that if we keep talking about deep topics like that, we're going to get pulled off the air because it's just going to be too over people, uh, you know, over people's heads way too much. But here we are 11 years later and we still get to talk about these kind of things. But we also, 11 years later, still don't really know what it is that we're encountering when we're encountering the paranormal. Well, I guess hence the uh, subtitle of our book, Everything You Know is Wrong. I love um, it. <clears throat> that's a bit presumptuous, but we're applying that to pretty much everything. Um, the you know, history, theology, uh, even what we know about ourselves and our world and, and our universe. We, we really don't know anything for sure. You know, there are lots of interesting theories and uh, there are lots of laws. As Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin will point out or have pointed out in their book, Science Was Wrong, Many very often you have laws and axioms that later turn out to be false themselves. You know, they're not uh, intentionally foisted on anybody, but they just, uh, you get better information. So I think we're, it's the first day of school as far as um, just about everything, particularly the paranormal. What I love about it, though, is that it's it's one of the only things that you can research and hit a brick wall or realize that you were wrong, and there's just as much excitement as there can be frustration because usually when you find out that everything that you know is wrong, you're going in a different direction, and that leads you to a whole new avenue of research and experience. So it's actually it's okay. It's part of the process. It's part of growing to realize, oh, man, I've been following the wrong path all this time. Well, yes, uh, I think that's true. But I think there's also a, a lack of, of uh, something on a deeper level, and that's that you know science is not perfect, and it's very limited. The paradigm will not, in my opinion, explain the paranormal, because I think what we're dealing with is outside of mainstream science. Uh, however, you've got disciplined thinking and peer review. Also, you have a lot of politics, but you have that in the paranormal world, too. But uh, one, one of the problems with paranormal research, you know, or pop paranormal research, as we call it, is that uh, it, it strikes me that a lot of people, you know, they don't talk to each other. They go to these conferences, and uh, there, there is no, as far as I'm aware anyway, no serious uh, peer review, and uh, no serious, uh, sometimes not even disciplined thinking. In the sense, you know, how you know you sort of scream and run out of the house at worst, and at best you're using engineers' tools and, and uh, gadgets that we never had back in the 70s. Um, and uh, not not to be curmudgeonly here, but I, I mean, people don't really, I think, understand necessarily how they work. Uh, we live in a society that's drunk with technology, so therefore we, we uh, put uh, faith in it, and um, we uh, there are a number of assumptions that have still not been. Uh, traveled past by many investigators uh, and again i think it's uh, necessary to start from square one so that's that's what we try and do maybe we're wrong first thing we always say but when we speak with audiences um we very rarely see the eyes roll except from some of the dyed-in-the-wool old-time 19th century spiritualists who still will very often come up and and say you know i never thought of it that way um, maybe you've got a point. So uh, we, we very rarely have any static, much to our own surprise, uh, because it's it's uh, new and people who are not in the field, quote unquote, will sometimes say, well, this has happened to me all my life and now I understand it so I don't have to be afraid of it anymore and all this sort of thing. So I hope that, hey, we're right because if we're wrong, we're misleading a lot of people. But I, I think that 
I, th- I think that, that we're right in at least attempting to push the envelope of understanding uh, beyond the two-dimensional matter-spirit-world dichotomy from the 19th century and way before that. You know, and it's funny because you mentioned these conventions as being things that people gather at and and, and it becomes kind of a, a social event more than it is, you know, any kind of academic pursuit. And it's funny because if you have a convention of dentists, if the American Dental Association has its annual convention in Boston, then you're not going to have a bunch of dental fans showing up wanting to meet their favorite <laughs> dentists and get autographs and 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 dentists are just sitting there talking about doing workshops, talking about different things. And a lot of that kind of learning aspect doesn't exist in these. It's more kind of like a Comic-Con type of thing, like a pop culture event of come and meet sure, these people. And, sure, and so well, that's not that's not bad, no. a bad thing, but it uh, it probably doesn't lend itself to uh, for, you know deeper pursuits, you know, or or again disciplined thinking. We're not getting the but, chance to really pick each other's brains as much as we would want to, and I think that tends to happen more in the field than anything. Is you know when you invite another investigator to come with you, that's when you're going to learn something new or or push each other's boundaries a little bit is when you're actually, quote-unquote, on the job. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. But there, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, we work with really one or two others because sometimes they were in other parts of the country and they're not accessible uh, on any regular basis. Uh, I'm thinking of Susan Shepard in West Virginia, whom who you may know. Um, she is uh, probably one of the few psychic mediums I would work with because she has a, a broader understanding of what's actually happening uh, I think and uh, Shane Searway from New Hampshire who is speaking at some of the same events we are this year uh, is um, a Blackfoot shaman and also a very feet on the ground disciplined investigator that's a very good combination you know and pretty rare in our experience so but it's funny we're invited to speak more at UFO conventions than we are at, at you know, strictly uh, paranormal ones, because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know. It's it's a different kind of community. Although uh, there are a lot of crossover, there's a lot of crossover interest on many of the people who come to the UFO events. But uh, the, at the strictly paranormal ones, and there are exceptions to the ones who don't like us. But I, I just we're not good for business because we kind of question everything that has been assumed. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons we're not really invited to, to a lot of the, the big ones. Uh, but, you know, that, that's their prerogative, and, um, you know, we do uh, what we can do. Well, it, it's funny because, you know, you've been involved in this since, since the 70s. You're one of the founding voices of, of the paranormal, of this wave of the paranormal. And what's funny is, you know, in the in the days, I don't want to date you either, but in those days in the 70s well, and the ahead. 80s and Everybody the 90s, you didn't really have a lot of UFO investigators that were willing to have cross-pollination with oh, ghost no. talk, you know? And, and, and now it seems like those borders, those those barriers are, are starting to fall. And I think that is probably the most positive thing that's going on in pop paranormal research today is people are talking to each other in, in that sense. Uh, you know, but yeah, back back in the day, I mean, there was, uh, little, there was very little contact, if any, between uh, what few paranormal investigators there were uh, and anybody involved in other areas of the paranormal, you know, the, the uh, cryptozoology was in one corner, uh, ghost thing was another, and because UFO was, was in a third, and, and, and never the twain would meet. Uh, however, at least w- with, with me, and then later with, with Ben, uh, many years later, uh, I would inv- it, it occurred to me maybe we should look outside this particular house that's having issues. Uh, so we went into the yard. And then I wondered, well, well you know, you've got, 
some strange things going on there. Let's see if we can talk to the neighbors. And sure enough, uh, it ended up that uh, it, when you could talk to the neighbors, very often they were having problems too that had the same flavor as what was going on in this main house. And you could keep pushing the on, pushing the envelope. And uh, one day in uh, this, well, this was as late as 1995. Someone in the case said, "Yeah, well, they were a neighbor, and they said, yeah, we, uh, we saw a UFO land." over in that field, which is right next to the house that was haunted. And so I, I began to realize, gee, maybe there's more to this than, it, than meets the eye. Maybe the labels we put on many of these phenomena have to do with the contexts in which we experience them. For example, if you're sitting in your living room and a wispy figure goes, you know, goes through and you know, you're jumping up on the couch, aha, a ghost. However, if you're outside in the yard and that happens and there's also a ball of light maybe up above, aha, you know, an alien or at least a UFO. Uh, and there might, might be both. It might be neither. You know, and, and we have, again, assumptions that are made from our very limited paradigm, epistemological paradigm, and it's just they, they just aren't good enough. And when I started to investigate these cases back in the 70s, I was applying oh, – because I was, I was in the seminary. So I had this theological background on top of the the other assumptions, and uh, it, these they just weren't good enough. Uh, the people in the the first case I investigated in the Pomfret, Connecticut, uh, seventy to seventy two, they didn't seem to, seem to be dead at all. Never mind in, in some kind of well, I was assuming they were like souls in purgatory and all this stuff. So that's where I started. And uh, day one, it just the old idea started to fall right away. So uh, that's a long point to a short statement of yours, Tim, that, you know, they are talking to each other now, and I wish it had happened many years ago, but it is happening now, and to a point, and I think it's good. Uh, w one issue, too, is that uh, very often, uh, and the Warrens were an exception, and they, they, they were just, there was them, there was uh, Hans Holzer, and one or two others at the time, but they didn't have, like, the, 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 the pop groups running out, the hobbyist groups on weekends sitting in cemeteries. That was that was very rare. When you t told people you did this, they kind of looked at you, especially the seminary authorities. Mm -hmm. So I learned to kind of keep quiet about it. But um, uh, you, you didn't you didn't have uh, paranormal investigators such as they were even at times talking to psychics and mediums. And that perhaps was the first uh, melting of the ice and then finally people in other areas. And not now you, there, there are, uh, we call it pan-paranormal uh, sorts of uh, gatherings and, and certainly um, uh, approaches to the experience that are more open-minded than before. So I think it's a good start. Well, in those days, in, in the time when, you know, there was a little bit more to being a paranormal investigator than it is now, you know, now it seems like anybody with a with a camera phone and a, and a black T-shirt with a logo on it is a ghost hunter. But yeah. in, in those days, did was there a lot of social interaction amongst different investigators and did investigators hold each other accountable for what others were doing because that's what I think was the biggest side that we're seeing of this explosion of people who want to be involved in this is there's not a lot of holding each other accountable and when people do try to hold each other accountable it's called bullying and and, yeah, and yeah, yeah. all kinds Politics. of different dynamics but was that something that it, was there a lot of peer review that happened in the 70s and 80s well I, I, I can only speak to my particular circle uh, which was quite varied, really. You had Ed Lorraine Warren, who were artists by uh, trade and sort of stumbled into this, and I only worked with them till 78, and then I kind of 
began to question what they were doing, and he didn't do that, so that was the end of that. Uh, you also had Father John Nicola, who was a Jesuit priest, uh, technical advisor for the film The Exorcist. Uh, I met him through my brother, who was a priest in Washington, right across the street from where Father Nicola was. So uh, he had the, uh, the very anonymous job of um, being the assistant director of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception, that, you know, that, that humongous church uh, that's there. Uh, the Pope always goes there when he visits Washington, all that, that sort of thing. But, of course, that was just a cover for his real job, which was being sort of the, the uh, chief uh, expert in exorcism in the American church. So uh, there was there was Dr. Louisa Rhine uh, from Duke University, who was obviously a Ph.D. and a psychologist, and they doing a lot of work at the time in ESP research in, uh, on children, that sort of thing. And then uh, there was uh, Dr. Brian Riley, a parapsychologist uh, who was at the University of Connecticut, not teaching that, but that's you know, but he was a psychologist. So th- th- there were a lot of people. With, there were a lot of a lot of brain power. A lot of people with PhDs. Uh, around at least me, and then there, there was me, the sort of this young seminary student um, who was uh, hoping to, because the Warrens were hoping to have another priest in, in their quiver of, uh, uh, you know, for, for ammunition when they were trying to get publicity for exorcisms and stuff. And also Father Lawrence Cotter of the Diocese of Augsburg, who lived, uh, didn't teach, but lived at the seminary I was studying at at the time. And uh, he was the diocesan exorcist, and they actually let me work with him. So a lot of clergy and a couple of PhDs and, and Lorraine Warren. That, that's, that, that's a cast of, uh, of an unusual film right there. So, uh, and, But uh, there was really uh, – Hans Holzer was a sort of a popular guy, mm-hmm. wrote a zillion books, uh, this sort of thing. And there were a couple of others. Uh, I know Richard Sennett started early and uh, Lloyd Orbach, people of that kind and but I didn't know them until recently so um, yeah there were it was just a lot it was very different than it is today um, we didn't have the electronics all we had was very seat of the pants stuff a cassette tape recorder <laughs> uh, and, and uh, cameras that actually had film in them uh, nothing spectacular but you know the whole EVP thing really hadn't uh, it, it had in a way kind of started but it wasn't get, it didn't get the attention it, it does today and uh uh, this sort of thing. So it was, uh, as I say, very seat of the pants. But there, were, there was a lot of, um, a lot of very knowledgeable people in their fields, and uh, they tried to apply it to this field. And um, you know, but it, it still, it still didn't quite congeal, right. in, in our opinion. You know, I remember Keith Johnson telling me back in those days, you know, investigating Andrea Perrin's house back in the early days and using reel-to-reel recorders to try to capture. EVPs. Oh yeah, oh, Keith, Keith goes back just as far as I do, if not a little farther. And, uh, but uh, yeah, he was involved in, in the Perrin case, and uh, yeah, he's actually has told me about that too. So it's uh, really, um, and uh, so was Andrea. So it's, that was that was quite the thing. But you know, we had things like the Bridgeport Poltergeist uh, outbreak of, as I call it, of '74, and you know, we were in there. You know, we were waiting for the, for the diocese of uh, the Catholic diocese of Bridgeport to allow an exorcism, and there was a priest and Ed Lorraine Warren and myself, and it was just a zoo. You know, because Warren, he always let let the, the media in, and right. it's ironic. I, I I'm in the newspaper business as you are, uh, partially there, Tim. And uh, this the last thing I would do is call any any uh, any reporters into any anything like this. I mean, I know a lot His of people. Circus though, resulted. A lot of people have come down on the Warrens for that, and and said that they were kind of doing this for the publicity. But kind of in a way, if you look at it, though, it's no different than a, a lot of ghost 
hunters, you know, paranormal researchers now will do the same thing. If they're going to conduct an investigation of some famous historic haunt, they'll let the media know, whether they do ahead of time or whether they let them know their results or whatever. But in those days, really, the only way that they were getting referrals and, and getting interest from people is by these stories being covered. So in a way, it was kind of a, a good way to reach out there and find more clients is by having this coverage. But at the same time, you know, then that creates that vicious cycle of, well, then how much of what went on you're actually doing just for, you know, just to give the reporter something for the story? Well, as one who was there, I, I just took, took a dim view on it. Uh, perhaps it summed up Tim by a conversation that occurred in a house in, uh, I believe it was Attleboro, one of Ben's early cases uh, with me. And uh, there was a group who invited us in, and uh, they, they were they were talking about these great EVPs they'd gotten, and the poor owner of the house was sitting there suffering with all kinds of things that, that in our opinion, were feeding the parasites that were responsible for the case, pretty much, and uh, nobody was doing anything for her. So I, I, I took her aside, and we began to talk, and then, then Ben kind of took the case from there. But, uh, you know, it's it's the people, and, and Shane Searway puts it well. He says, places aren't haunted, people are. I don't know if I go that far, but, sure. I, mean, I, but I, I see what he's trying to, to get to. The people, you know, we don't just sit around like, like lumps, and I, I'm sure you know this. Uh, we, we don't just sit around uh, and, and be affected by our environment. Uh, everything is connected. We don't believe in the island theory that everything we are is contained within our bodies and brains and all this stuff. Uh, so that's something you really have to believe, I think, uh, if you're going to believe in the ghost in the sense of the classic spiritualist interpretation uh, that we are not connected, but we are actually. The, uh, the One of the messages of the study of, of quantum consciousness is that there really is no such thing as an individual in in the old sense of the word, with all due respect to the founders of our country. <laughs> we, we've got a unity that is out there that connects everything, and hence, in a paranormal case, the people participate uh, in what they're experiencing. And uh, you deal with the people, uh, and then you, you don't just go in and fix it. I mean, you deal with, with uh, the people and what's going on, and because they never tell you everything, you have to, you have to spend. We, we spend years on cases sometimes, and um, people have said, "Well, you've only investigated a thousand cases in forty-seven years." I said, "Well, because we spend." Uh, th there's one case we've spent uh, over ten years on, uh, and now that we're into the uh, paranormal, as we call them, flap areas, these huge, two hundred and twenty, two hundred and thirty square mile areas where all kinds of things are happening uh, and where, where you need a team of spies essentially to keep an eye on it and where the government or something that looks like the government or the military is inevitably involved. Uh, it's a deep well, Tim, and it, it takes a long time to do it and uh, you have to work with the people. That, that's, that's how we believe that we get results and that was not happening in the uh, Bridgeport House in 1974 because you know, that, that concept wasn't there. Uh, they were demons. Uh, they were attacking this family, which was very religious, by the way, which I found interesting. And uh, you did the uh, ceremonies of exorcism to um, express you know, authority over these demons and then throw them out. I mean, I, I was involved in 10 exorcisms of people, and sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't work. And uh, I just didn't think they were doing the right thing, I mean, like they're going to listen to me. But, I mean, it was – everything was just – not good enough for me at the time. So that that's my two cents on that. Well, I mean, maybe it, five it, cents. It does have the the 
when you're going through this, you know, you're you're looking at it from your own sensibility, from your own experience, from your own what you're encountering on the investigation. But you, a good investigator also has to take into account what the person who's being subjected to this is feeling and what they're going through and take their belief system into account as well because no oh, precisely you know I'm not a religious person I don't I don't have any background in in any particular religion I believe what I believe but I don't know yeah, I believe the, what I believe too now yeah. I, I don't know all the different varying levels of theology I don't know all the different levels of demonology and all that kind of stuff but if I go to some place and somebody's telling me you know I'm having this experience and it happens you know when I read the Bible and if I say the psalm this happens okay that doesn't really have mean anything to me but it means something to you and it means something to your experience so I have to be able to be willing to accept that and, and, and put myself in that position because paranormal Experiences just can't be through your own lens. It has to be through a collective lens of everybody, and you have to be willing to accept what other people are going through as well as what you're seeing with your own eyes. Oh, sure. No, I agree. Well, w- one thing that uh, that is interesting today on another level is that, uh, relatively recent discoveries, I suppose, or, or people becoming aware of them, is that uh, there are uh, other factors that can influence what people are experiencing. Uh, for example, I believe it was 1998, so, you know, you've heard of the infrasonics thing. Some mm-hmm. poor sap was working late in a British laboratory and uh, was by himself and all of a sudden the, uh, the beakers on, on the lab table were starting to clink together and the papers were going up and down and he looked toward the doorway and there was a shadowy figure standing there and so he, uh, con- as Ed Warren used to say, he considered retreat the better part of valor and off he went. But it turned out that, according to the findings, that, that there was a faulty uh, relay or something uh, in the uh, ventilation system uh, that was setting up a standing wave in the building, that a sound wave, uh, and uh, that that can cause the um, well. There, there are questions. It, it causes the uh, the impression of paranormal phenomena going on, and it does affect material things so that they can clink and all this sort of business. Uh, it can shake beds, uh, so the, and you can't hear it with, with the uh, naked ear. And the question is, do the do the uh, the phenomena that go beyond those small physical effects, uh, do are they, uh, the is the impression of these occurring created in the mind by the sound wave, or does the sound wave open doors to parallel realities that we may not be aware of, and and uh, therefore be what we would consider legitimately quote unquote paranormal uh, in this case? So there's still questions. And the second thing is. Um, it's been found that uh, certain molds, particularly black mold, that are common in houses can be hallucinogenic if you inhale the spores. Uh, we've run into this several times, especially in uh, several cases in New Hampshire lately, uh, where the people were simply inhaling this. I mean, of course, but the, th- the trouble is the findings on this and, and the data uh, are still hard to pin down. But, but I think it's a factor that, that had to be considered. And we... we um, uh, in one house, the the, uh, the mold was cleared away by a contractor, and all phenomena ceased immediately. So, I mean, th- these are these are some new findings that I think also have to be considered. And all it does is complicate our task as investigators. Uh, another thing, Tim, you, that you may uh, may have heard from Keith Johnson is that in the old days you could go in. And uh, you know the guy would say, "Well, th- th- this welt or bruise on the child w- was was inflicted by the poltergeist." Mm-hmm. Well, in those days, uh, they were simpler, and you know you could accept that if you had the right data. But now you have to call child welfare, or serve, or else you're in trouble. Right, because there's uh, mandatory reporting, and yeah, I'm waiting for the lawsuits to begin. Frankly, with, with some of these people who are out there, you know, setting themselves up as experts and not knowing what they're doing, and I really cringe. 
when they, they uh, put themselves up as, as counselors for these people. You know, I mean, th that in itself might be um, uh, a litigious situation at some point. So there, there are a lot of new things going on. They're not necessarily good. Well, and part of it, too, is, you know, now with this big – you know, back then, uh, if you had a small handful of people in the area that you could contact for something like this, it was pretty easy to – to do references, because say somebody wanted to have you come into their house, they'd say, well, can you give us a name of three other people whose houses you investigated so we can call them and make sure everything's cool, and then you you can give them that information, and they talk. Mm -hmm. Now it's there's so many people, and you don't know who to trust anymore, that we we see these stories that happen all the time of you know sex offenders getting involved with paranormal teams, and the team didn't know, or yeah. paranormal teams come in and investigate the house, and the next thing you know, a, a flat screen TV is missing. You know, mm -hmm. all, these, all these kind of situations that can happen because as it's exploded with popularity, it's become harder and harder to regulate. Well, I see that some groups, uh, just from their websites, and some of these groups, I wonder if they're anything more than websites. I don't know. But uh, they, they do seem to take um, a, a tone of care when anyone makes an attempt to get involved. And very often they're old friends who know each other in the first place. So I guess it's a case-by-case -case, uh, basis. But uh, but beyond that, uh, we discourage people. Well, I'll give you an example of, of what of our, our attitude is, Tim. Uh, I was invited that uh, this has got to be 06 or 07 down to uh, Clearwater, Florida to that, you know, the, that giant hotel that's, that's wooden. I think it's the largest occupied wooden building in the country at this point. Um, in Clearwater, and there was a conference for beginning ghost hunters. And uh, I went against my better judgment, and um, they asked me, well, Mr., you know, if you had one word of advice for the group, uh, what would it be? And I said, don't. <laughs> and 230 people stared at me, and I said, you have no idea what, what you're doing, what you're touching, what you could connect with, what would be involved in, in uh, dealing with the people who are having this. I said, you know, read books, of course, written, also written by people who don't know what they're doing sometimes, very often. Uh, watch the darn TV shows if you have to, but um, take up soccer or something else. Collect, you know, because it's, for a lot of people, it is, a, it is reckless and dangerous to be out there doing this. And not only that, but you have to know... Uh you know, I mean, this is coming from my own experience, and, and I, I didn't necessarily heed my own advice. But you need to have a firm belief in what you believe. You need to have a firm foundation in what you believe. You have to have a firm foundation in uh, how you see yourself and what you want out of life because it's so easy to fall susceptible not only to – yeah, we can say, okay, there's, there's dark things that can come and attach itself to you. There's, there's dark experiences and bad things that can happen to people. But just to have your whole entire worldview change in an instant like that, you have to be ready and be prepared for that. The first time something reaches out and grabs you and shakes you and you realize, holy crap, this stuff really is real, you have to be ready to accept that and process That's it. That's right. Absolutely. Well, you know, some, some of the most upset people I've ever seen, and maybe you've had this happen, are when you know, you're giving a talk – and someone comes up at the end and says, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're a doctor or even a, a scientist. I had a physicist come up one time uh, or, or a nurse or you know, so, some kind of you know, serious professional person, very often with, with a Ph.D. or an M.D. or something like this. And they'll say, I never believed in any of this until it happened to me and that it turned my world upside down. I have never been able to sleep since or things like that. You know, there are people who, particularly when they have um, advanced degrees, are very comfortable in uh, a, um, a belief system that, that, you know, it helps people and is fine. 
But it's not enough when something from outside that system invades and inserts itself into your life because you're not prepared. You know, most of us are very comfortable. And this this stuff can make you very uncomfortable very quickly. So that that's another consideration is that uh, you're absolutely right, Tim. You've got to be anchored. Not necessarily in the same things other people are, but in something that gives you strength. And, and uh, when, when we would go in uh, to an exorcism, yeah, you use the holy water and the stuff, you know, if the person is a Christian or you use something else. But, I mean, that that's taking the power, I think, of the person and channeling it, for lack of a better term, into his own, the person's own self-defense. Um, I've seen it work with, te- on, with teddy bears, with young children. Uh, whatever holds is that anchor for you, it's a symbol of it, uh, that can work. It doesn't necessarily have to be Christian or Buddhist or whatever. You know, it's it's what your belief system is. And um, I'm not really a relativist morally, but I think certainly you have to be when it comes to the uh, the medicine that is applied. Just just as a doctor would, would uh, prescri- prescribe certain medicines uh, for one person and certain medicines for someone else, it's the same idea. Well, we're going to take a break. Uh, we have to... Uh, go for the network news that will be coming up in just a moment. And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk more with our guest, Paul Eno. You can check out his website during the break if you'd like to, newenglandghosts.com. You can find out more about Paul, about Ben, about their books, and you can find out more about their radio show as well, Behind the Paranormal. Uh, So check all that out during the break. When we come back on the other side, we'll have more of the discussion with our guest, Paul Eno. We'll take your calls as well at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. You can also share your questions in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com and on the free Spooky South Coast app for Android and for Apple devices. And, of course, you can always email them to us as well, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Send them to us on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive. So many ways to get involved in the discussion, but as as always, we love to hear your voice. Uh, So, again, 508-996-0500. We'll be back with more Spooky South Coast in just a moment. Here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, Stephanie Burke, and Matt Moniz, both off tonight. Different reasons. They're not. Uh, they're not playing hooky on us and going out on a date or anything. Stephanie will kill me for saying that. They're both. They're both working other jobs tonight. Stephanie and her job as a mom. Moniz and his other job that he's been working. That's. I don't know if we can talk about that. It's not paranormal related, but. It's interesting, and he'll share more with us when he can. So, uh, Matt, you said that there was a question that came up? Uh, someone uh, was wondering on Facebook Live um, how they can start uh, getting more involved in the paranormal. Well, they're already taking the first step by listening to this show, Spooky South Coast. We will not lead you astray. 
we promise. Uh, but I would say that if you if you want to get more involved in things, the best thing to do is to read and research. Do that before you pick up any devices and run out into the dark. Always learn what it is that you're doing first before you go out. You know, like when you go out and buy a car or a TV or a computer or whatever, you know, you shouldn't just go out there and walk around the store and see what grabs you. You should shop around a little bit. When you go out to buy a house, you don't go take the first house you see most of the time. You know, you look around a little bit. And you research, and you find things out, and you make an informed decision. And it's the same thing with the paranormal. You know, you got to research it a little bit first. And our guest tonight is Paul Eno. He's been researching the paranormal for quite a number of years, and uh, I will ask Paul that same question. Paul, I, I'm, you touched upon a little bit in the first hour, but if somebody asked you that question, hey, how do I get involved in the paranormal? I know that you had said that your advice is don't, but say that that doesn't work. What's the first <laughs> step that you recommend to somebody? Well, I'll, I'll say what I said after I said that to that audience. And I said, well, here we all are. You're going to do it almost certainly. So we might as well discuss how to stay safe. Um, my suggestion is that uh, you uh, it certainly would echo yours, Tim, uh, that uh, reading. Uh, but the thing, question is, what do you read? Right. Uh, which expert can you trust? Uh, these are difficult questions. Sometimes people are far away uh, from the, pe- the people whom they believe they can trust. Uh, but, of course, with today's communications, I mean, you can probably talk to them. Um, I think also uh, what you said before that was uh, certainly have to be grounded, to be as mature spiritually in the broad sense, the broadest sense of that word, uh, and psychologically as you can be. Uh, if you are a china plate, uh, because you have, um, you know, you're high strung or you have, uh, you know, issues with, with, uh, particularly, uh, addicted, addicting substances, you know, certainly drugs and alcohol. I mean, these are all bad things if you're going to be going into the, into any of these cases. But I couldn't agree more with the idea that before you grab Whatever you're going to grab and go out and run into cemeteries and stuff, become as knowledgeable as you can and, and don't do it alone. Okay. Um, I, I don't, which books you can read. I mean, there are people who have been in the field for a long time, uh, including myself. I've written a bunch of books on this, but that doesn't, you know, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you, you can, you can do something wrong for 40 or 50 years. Uh, I just, um, would say use your judgment. And another thing that's very important, I would say, is is follow your instincts. If you feel uncomfortable in a certain situation, get out of there. Right. If you feel uncomfortable with a certain person, you know, we have those instincts from our remote ancestors who, if they didn't have them, we wouldn't exist. Because, you know, if you didn't have the feeling that, that the, the saber-toothed cat was, uh, was behind you looking at you as a possible hot lunch, our ancestors never would have survived. So follow your instincts. Just uh, if if you have to do it, um, then just I'd say uh, just everything we've said. You know, grounded, be strong, learn as much as you can, and don't be alone. And follow your instincts. Well, and like you said, you know, it's hard to figure out who to read first and, and who to learn from. But one book I always recommend to people who want to get involved. It's one thing to want to get involved in, in, in research, but if you want to get involved in the quote-unquote community, I highly recommend a book by a guy named Steve Volk that came out about five, six years ago. It's called Fringology, and it, oh, it basically yeah. turns a it's – a, it's a skeptical point of view or actually more of a journalistic point of view reporting on 
all of this sudden interest in the paranormal. So it, it, it gives you an insight into it before you actually dip your toes into the water. And then the other suggestion that I always make to people, see, because people want to get involved in this, and they immediately will say, well, I'm going to go start looking for people that I can help in residential cases because I don't have to pay to get into those places. And so one <laughs> of the things that I always recommend to people is, you know what, go find the local ghost tour in your area. Go find the haunted location that has a historical tour. Go in and spend some time in these places and see how you feel. Because if you feel skittish, if you feel like you're uneasy being in these places, well, then you shouldn't be putting yourself in positions where you're trying to be the, the bridge between somebody else and the problems that they're having if you're not sure that you're going to have a problem with it either. That's a good suggestion. Uh, one more caveat I might, I guess this is about ten suggestions we're giving here, uh, is, is that the paranormal should be your last resort as an answer to anything that's going on. I mean, there are all sorts of psychological complications. One of the... Re and, there are, there are certain lines you draw. One of the reasons uh, I was working with Father Cotter in one or two of the uh, in one of these uh, state hospitals in, in New York State uh, was because so okay somebody's diagnosed with schizophrenia because they hear voices they see things and uh, they may or may not be experiencing real parallel worlds. However, when they're lying in uh, the bed in their room and stuff's flying off the shelves on the other side of the room, the doctors would call us because obviously the person isn't doing this. It's something that's beyond uh, the pale of ordinary medicine, and uh, that's why we were there, among other things. So uh, be sure that the paranormal is your last resort. And don't be afraid to consult experts. I've been told by... Uh, particularly psychologists and psychiatrists, that I'm more skeptical than they are because they see these things. Clergy, police, and, and uh, psychologists and psychiatrists see these things more th than, than most. Okay. Now, if I may, if there's time, uh, Tim, to turn this around a little bit, there's also the situation where you may have a little or no interest in getting involved in the paranormal and don't pursue it actively. But it happens to you. You live in a quote-unquote haunted house, right. or you're out, you're out, you know, at the campfire there, and all of a sudden, you know, what appears to be a UFO lands in the next field, and you know, they walk up to you, and uh, you know, this sort, of, this sort of, or, or Bigfoot experience, something paranormal happens to you uh, without you seeking it. Okay, um, th that really requires sort of a different approach, I would think. Well, you know, you mentioned the clergy. We talked a little bit about your, your background in the past, and, and I had asked you that question in the first hour about the barriers coming down between the UFO people and the ghost people. How much of those barriers are coming down between, uh, you know, theologists and, and people who look at things through a religious lens and people who research the paranormal? Because I know that that was always uh, a point of contention for a lot of uh, investigators is that you would run up against a lot of resistance from from those in the clergy or from those who are just looking at things through a religious lens? Oh, sure. Uh, well, one thing to realize, Tim, I think, is, is, and a lot of people don't realize this, is, is that clergy are not, and even Roman Catholic priests are not routinely trained in this subject. People assume they are, but that's not true. I mean, you study the theology, the history of the church, and there's a little bit of it in your final year, your deacon year in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and in the Orthodox Church, it's really not... Uh, touched on very much, and in most Christian groups, uh, it's considered to be demonic. So people are not, when they are trained in it, it's a very narrow point of view, and the ones who are trained in the Roman Catholic Church are the ones who end up the diocesan exorcists. Every diocese 
has or is supposed to have uh, at least one priest who was specifically uh, trained and prepared to go into situations where they judge that uh, an exorcism is required or at least that some kind of counseling is required to resolve uh, what they consider a paranormal situation. Uh, in my day, we were coming off December of 73 when the exorcist film was released and all of a sudden front and center was this topic you never you never heard about it really much before that uh, I was interested in it of course but you know I was weird so th they clammed up and I would say and, and again like they're going to listen to me I'm a young seminary student uh, they didn't like me even being involved with the Warrens they didn't like the Warrens they didn't like any of the stuff I was doing but I said why did you just tell people this is what we believe don't worry about it uh, this is what you do but no they just clammed up which only makes people more curious so that probably was a mistake. But now, as I understand, now I'm out of touch with, it, with all those channels now. Um, but I had two friends at the Vatican who were priests, one of whom worked in the secret archives. There really is such a place, actually, in the library. Um, but, you know, like they're going to tell me, I'm the last one they're going to tell what's, what's going on. But there does seem to be a new openness as far as the ideas about exorcism and training of exorcists is concerned. Now, there are people running around. Ed Warren claimed to be the only official uh, sanctioned exorcist. I and mean, I, I never saw any proof of that. I mean, with all due respect to, to him, he was a good friend. Uh, but, you know, and there are people who call themselves demonologists and all this. And if, if there's any formal training or approval by the Roman Catholic Church of these people, I'm not aware of it. Uh, so, I mean, th these are people I would be very careful about anybody who calls themselves a demonologist. But there may be a new openness about it, but not that open where they're just taking people off the off the hobbyist street there and making them exorcists. That's just not happening. Well, I think that some people who have had a long experience around it, you know, somebody like Keith Johnson, uh, who yeah, does, who does Keith, yeah. he does do exorcism work. Uh, when when necessary, and and he does consider himself a lay demonologist. You know, he considers himself somebody who is familiar with it and experienced with it, but would never, uh, you know, never try to supersede the church in any way. I think that people like that, there is a, a need for, and there is a lot that can be learned from from watching them, observing them, and 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 from studying with them. But too often now. Being a demonologist is just your quote-unquote role within your paranormal group. You know, somebody has to be the UFO guy. Somebody has to be the equipment guy. Somebody has to be the psychic. Somebody has to be the demonologist. You know, it, it becomes what you're going to put under your name on the website more than it is what you're actually going to concentrate on and devote your life to. Well, that's it. Well, I, I have no right to say whether someone's qualified or not. Uh, I certainly wouldn't do it. Uh, you know, I, I just assisted at these exorcisms in the past, but uh, it just you know from what. From my seminary training, uh, such as it was and as far as it went, um, you know, I just w would be very careful about, um, you know, applying labels to myself like that. So, but again, you know, that's uh, people have to make their own way. But uh, as far as considering yourself something or not, I mean, I, I want someone who knows more than I do to be considering me. But but that's me. Have you had? So, you know, have you had experiences in in paranormal research? that have made you question things that you studied in the seminary, that have made you wonder if... I, I know that you, yourself and, and Ben, you, you talk frequently on the show about the connection between ghosts and God. Have you seen things that have kind of made you maybe have a more direct connection with, with God and, and with a greater power than the human interpretation of things is, is what I'm saying. You know, have, has that kind of opened your eyes more in a spiritual manner than if you had just gone to seminary, learned things, and never realized that the paranormal was real? 
Well, how long is your show, Tim? Uh, I, I really have to answer kind of a big yes to most of that. Um, my beliefs are very different than they were then. Uh, I find I found the uh, you know w- with the greatest respect, uh, particularly for the Orthodox Church, where uh, I ended up after graduating from my second Roman Catholic seminary, which was the, the college level. I was ready to go on to graduate seminary studies, which would have been four years of theology leading to ordination. And I just said, you know, a lot of things I learned in the paranormal were that. They have made God far too small, you know, and I thought that I saw maybe in the Eastern Orthodox Church, which most people just only know the name, um, a more ancient and broader view of God. And uh, in many ways, it is, but they're the ones who threw me out. Uh, of the seminary a couple of, you know, two years in because they didn't like my paranormal work. I should have had my nose in my books and I uh, was too young to be dealing with this and all this, even though I've been doing it for years and years and years with some of the finest experts, uh, at least in the Roman Catholic Church. So that was was as it was, and maybe the church and I both had a lucky escape. But uh, as the years have gone by, yes, um, I have found, uh, I, I think that, that, I mean, I have, again, with I, I will always respect the church because that's where I learned to love God. But I think that there are it's, – it's just so much bigger than I've seen uh, sort of with paranormal research, especially when you, when you look at the, the, the world and its history from the viewpoint of the paranormal. When you really look at it, Tim, the paranormal is the background to all the entire human experience. Uh, had there not been questions uh, that our remote ancestors had, you know, why did the saber-toothed cat eat? my sister, you know, something like this, or why did this happen, or why did that happen? Or, if they had not felt they were in touch with supernatural beings of some kind, there would have been no religion, and probably no science. So, in a way, you, you can call the paranormal the mother of both science and religion, which are supposed to be at such odds, but which really are not, except if you're dealing with fundamentalist religionists, you know. So, um, yeah, everything has changed since then. It's changed everything about my point of view, and it has um, uh, provided uh, insights into maybe how God does things. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example if we have the time. Sure. Uh, people often call my show and say, okay, well, you – they blame me for not espousing their religious beliefs. Okay, you were in the seminary for 10 years, man and boy, and, and you, you, don't, you believe things that are all crazy and all this. And I said, look. For example, the creation. What did the old catechism say about the creation? What did we learn in church school, Sunday school, whatever, whatever you want to call it, CCD, seminary? God created, sort of had to create the world because his love was infinite and it had to be expressed. They didn't really put it that way, but that's essentially what the theology says. So if you have an infinite love, do you express it in one creation? Do you express it in just what you see is what you get? Material world, maybe a spirit world? No. You express it, infinite love, in an infinite way, which would be what? The multiverse, which science has been discovering over the past century, or maybe even a little more. An infinite number of interacting, elegantly organized worlds, where energy is exchanged, inhabitants sometimes are exchanged, and that does what? contains, as some quantum physicists believe, every single possibility that has ever existed or ever will exist, all simultaneously. Because Einstein pretty much proved in his 1952 book Relativity that there is no such thing as past and future. It's just a function of our consciousness. Everything exists simultaneously. So you've got a creation that is just as infinite as its creator's love. 
there, there could be no other logical explanation for any expression of, of uh, infinite exp expression of divine love. So I guess the paranormal, in a sense, uh, I suppose uh, supported by quantum mechanics maybe, uh, transports theology to an entirely new level. I think uh, the great the French theologian uh, Pierre Théâtre de Chardin realized that, and, and, and this is present in many of his books. He foreshadowed really another aspect of the quantum theory, which I think uh, is just the other side of the coin, uh, which we call the, the, the quantum uh, hologram. Okay, He believed, I don't want to get too, too deep here, but uh, Théâtre de Chardin believed that everything was tending toward... A, a, a point of unity, the omega point, which was really Christ in his thinking. Everything, all these were, well, he didn't think of the parallel worlds, but in, in uh, the quantum hologram, the matrix is collapsing, the parallel worlds are joining, and that in the end, there will be a point of unity, equivalent to what Teodosharda had called the omega point. So, uh, that's another big long answer to your a simple question that just required a yes, Tim. But uh, yeah, it's it's changed, uh, it's deepened my um, point of view farther than I ever thought it could be deepened. And that's what I would the church. Right? I would think that would be the reaction for a lot of people that you would have to feel like if you encountered proof that there is something more, then you have to think that there is something else guiding that as well. You know, it's easy to think, okay, we're just these. You know, carbon creations that live and die and, you know, just like... Island just, theory. You know, yeah, just like plants, we're eventually just going to decompose and go back to where whence we came. We're all just stardust and we go back to being stardust. But if, if that's the... If the idea is that this consciousness can go on, well, then that consciousness has to go on for a reason. It can't just be an accident. And so I would actually think that, you know, religion would be pushing people toward the paranormal because it would help kind of sell the idea of hey this first of all at the very least it's a morality lesson you know you could say hey if sure. you don't do what we say you're going to be one of these ghosts that are stuck behind wandering around wondering what's going on talking to weirdos with tape recorders in the middle of the night <laughs> but at the same time you know it's also a way to kind of show people there's more than we understand and there's more than we're meant to understand and this can kind of be your guiding force for it well i mean i can understand uh I mean, the religion, in a way, is a lot like science, and the, the, especially when you get up into the uh, uh, clergy and you've studied theology formally and all this stuff. I mean, there's a certain discipline that's required because of human nature. I mean, people, you know, you don't want people going haywire. I mean, as it is, people believe what they want to believe. Um, I, I sort of have done over the past really 40 years or so uh, in, informal, unscientific studies of people's religious beliefs uh, and compared them with what they are taught. And in just about every religion, whether it, you know, you can talk about the Muslims, the Christians, uh, the Jews. Of course, the Jews are a little more free-flowing. Uh, I think they're refreshing. They're, there's a lot of, it's so old that there's a lot of give and take about the beliefs, and they don't say, aha, you're a heretic or anything like right. that. Uh, but in most religions, uh, there was a set belief system, and it does not correspond with what people, the rank and file, actually believe in many cases. And if it does correspond, or they don't understand it the way it was meant to be understood in the original theology. So people, in the end, really, Tim, believe what they want to believe. So I, I, I think your point is correct, but uh, I can see why they are careful uh, with, with that sort of approach. I mean, I think we all really have to uh, – we learn – individually but we also have to be together uh, there's a wonderful uh, 
sort of philo- well philosopher slash physicist slash um, uh, spiritual fellow whom we like very much, uh, Dr. Amit Goswami, who's written a number of terrific books on quantum physics, and he says that that the notion of the individual. Uh, our, our sense of self is is an illusion. It's just a sense of self-reference, you know. But we really have this unity. And um, when you, for example, when, when you, why is it people? This is what really started me questioning things in the late seventies. People were coming to me having seen ghosts of themselves. They were coming to me having seen ghosts of people who weren't dead yet. You know, one case in Maine really knocked my socks off in 1979 where the girl they were seeing as a ghost walked up to their door because she happened to be driving by and recognized the house. She had had dreams of being in the house doing precisely what they had seen her doing as a quote-unquote ghost. So I said, there's got to be more to this than spirits of the dead. And, uh, you know, the whole multiverse thing and the whole quantum thing, uh, relativity too, uh, obviates the whole question of where do you go when you die. You don't die. You can't. Not even your body. You're existing as one great super personality in, in countless worlds uh, where you may see yourself if the world boundaries or brains, B-R-A-N-E-S, or membranes as physicists call them, uh, intersect or overwash or do what they do in areas that cause things we call paranormal. That's our point of view. That's why we get into these flap areas. Uh, we, there seem to be areas like the Ohio Valley with Mothman and all that stuff in the 60s, uh, central Connecticut right now, where we have seen UFOs. People are seeing uh, things that don't even have names yet, Tim. Uh, the standard ghost thing, but it's we had to at one point convince the long-deceased, quote-unquote, great-grandparents of a woman in a house that she was not a ghost haunting them and that it was okay. Because we run into that. People, they're afraid of us because they, we, they're going about their daily lives in a perfectly physical manner, in perfectly physical worlds that we see across electromagnetic plasma charged brains and make them look, look wispy and, and cloudy and transparent and all this business. And it's nothing of the kind. Now, I'm not saying there are no spirits, but I think they're in worlds uh, whose laws of physics will be very different from ours and that are not near here at all. Uh, This is the new, perhaps, the new paradigm that we've been experiencing here, Tim. And I think it uh, it really does, hence, everything you know is wrong. Us, too, you know. Uh, But, again, the spiritual aspects, as we've been discussing, uh, are just as as, uh, momentous as the aspects for paranormal understanding. So. I don't know how much I buy into the idea of, <clears throat> excuse me, like, you know, some of the global consciousness experiments. You know, I know Art Bell was always famous for doing that, you know, trying to get everybody mm. in the audience to kind of, uh, you know, push a storm off the coast or things like that. I don't know how much I buy into a lot of that, but I do think that as people are opening up more to these topics, I think there is a, a collective consciousness among us all that's kind of opening things up a little bit more and inviting more of this stuff to be coming in. And, and as that happens, we're seeing a more more diversity in the paranormal that people are experiencing because it's almost like, well, if you're willing to accept that, then you've got to be willing to accept this. And it's almost like we're going to keep pushing the boundaries of what we're willing to believe as, as, a, as a race, as a, as a species. And I think that as we're opening up those doors, you know, it's up to people like us, the people who are researching this stuff, to find all the connections between them. And is that something that you've been uh, been able to do now, uh, at least in the last couple of years? And and as I guess as people have become more open, have you be able been able to see more of the forest for the trees? Well, I, I hope so. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, 
a difficult question in a way because so many things are happening. Not, not to interrupt, uh, but you're dealing with people in a different manner than you might have been in the 70s or yes. 80s now because now they're, Very uh, true. they're yeah. awakened to the idea of what these things might be already. Well, there's a dark side as well, Tim. I mean, rather than demons, we're dealing with uh, what we believe are parasites. In that Bridgeport house in 74, uh, there was one, on the Monday evening of the case, the Warrens had gone to be on some show, and, and I was in the house by myself with uh, the little girl who was the, apparently the target of, the, of what I believe were four, well, we thought they were demons. Uh, the, her parents in their 40s, and then a reporter and a neighbor. Four things came out of her bedroom, came down the hallway into the living room. You could see like these gauzy structures. One of them stood right in front of me. I, f I found out the hard way uh, at this point that you don't get angry or fearful or annoyed in the presence of these things because they feed on it. Hence the term parasites we later used. And I pushed against it. Just, just I knew it was after the little, little girl. I pushed against it instinctively. Now, this is supposed to be a spirit. It pushed back, and I felt bone structure. Whoa. What the hey was that? Yeah. That really threw me. This, this was a living, this was a life form, a physical life form. Got, I was confused. It got around me and threw the girl across the room. But, I mean, this was this really rocked my world. That was the first, or well, really the second or third major shakeup I've had. And it really had to sort of rethink everything. So um, again, it's it's sort of a new kind of paradigm. And uh, the other the other thing that really shook us up is when we started running into the military, or what appeared to be the military. And uh, we think now we we may at least have a theory about why they turn up every time in these in these areas. Um, Probably less so in the Bridgewater Triangle. I know you and certainly uh, Chris uh, Balzano are very, very familiar with, and I respect your experience uh, with that with that tremendous case. Um, we, we live on the other side of it from you, so we're, we're all near it. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but when we were Ben and I were commenting, we just had one or two experiences there with what could have been puckwudgies. And uh, we're going around a corner and commenting, how come we haven't run into the military yet? And then right there in this, this dirt road we turned into in the Freetown State Forest, a whole line of unmarked utility trucks with all these guys in sunglasses watching us go by. Wow. So our theory is that maybe, you know, it's not the UFO thing that is creating the need for secrecy in their minds. If I think that we're ready for the idea, you know, we all grew up with the Klingons and Captain Kirk and the Planet of the Apes. I think if life were to be found on other planets, and a lot of people think they're getting us ready for that, that's fine. We'd all be really excited about that. We all really believe in it. I mean, it, 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 there aren't too many people left who wouldn't believe that in the vastness of the universe where, where all there is. Uh, but I think that, that that's not the problem. I think if, if people were to realize, you know, if, the, if our approach is true, that these things are right, they're not far away. They're right next to you all the time in nearby parallel realities. And, and some of them can come and go as they please and certain, certainly seem to do. Whether you call them ghosts, Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, or greys, or whatever you call them. I think that would really shake people up. That would shake society to its roots. People want disclosure. They want the government to come out and say, Steve Bassett does, I know. He wants the government to come out and say that whatever they believe the truth is, no matter how, how horrifying it is. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I think that, that the multiverse thing, the, with these things right next to us all the time, not far away at all, uh, is the real secret. And um, which is why we get cryptic messages. And, of course, some of them, are, I'm sure, are nutballs. You know, others, 
you know, uh, death threats and things of this kind. You're close to the truth. I've had shamans in Quebec and Australia, two different ends of the planet, tell me this is exactly what is happening, and that's what shamans do, although in other terms. I mean, we have a lot of evidence that I consider evidence uh, th that this is at least something like what's really happening and that this may be the secret, maybe the big secret. Well, one of the things that I think is interesting, of course, we, we talked a little bit about your latest book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, but I know that you have a new project that you're working on, and it's geared toward a different audience. Yes, uh, this, this was um, uh, the, prompted, I guess, by uh, the library in Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, where we've uh, we already we've been there once uh, for a, a sort of a book event and we gave our presentation on the book and uh, th they had such a crowd they wanted us back uh, they booked us for two more programs the director said why don't you do a program for cryptids about not for cryptids yeah for cryptids about children no but but for young people about cryptids you know uh, monster hunting with Paul and Ben Eno so I said well do it we've never done a program like that before as such uh, for a young audience and uh, we said why don't we put together some of our show scripts that we've done with some of the greatest experts on this subject you know, Linda Godfrey, uh, Nick Redford and people of that caliber and uh, turn it into a book for young people and uh, our goal is to have it out by the, the end of uh, June when this event takes place but I don't know it's, it's, it's a tall order and our publisher, we're supposed to you know, they have first refusal on our next two books, and uh, they were very gracious and said, if you think you can do it by then, go ahead, because we can't. So that's the thing. So it's called Behind the Paranormal, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. And we're just we're getting it together now. Well, and I think, though, that that's, again, you see kind of those divisions within paranormal research or people saying, you know, I, I'm into cryptid stuff because I can believe that there's these creatures that we haven't found yet, but I can't believe in the idea of there being ghosts or aliens or anything like that. And I think those walls are starting to come down, too, because so many of these unknown creatures have, you know, kind of mythological and mystical and supernatural properties about them that it's just kind of all starting to blend together. And, and the fact that you're gearing this, you know, toward younger people and, and getting them thinking about it means that when they become adults and they have free time and they have the ability to go out and research things on their own, they'll be more open-minded to these things. Well, you're right. And uh, the lines are going to be blurred, certainly in our book, because we're going to get into, you know, what, what, what are these? What can be mistaken for one? Uh, one, of the, one of the things I was just writing about today was uh, based on our interview, uh, one of our interviews with Richard Valdez from Florida. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard of him, a tremendous database he's gathered for years and years, amazing dedication, wonderful person, of humanoid sightings, among other things. And um, we, this is an idea of a crossover kind of idea. Uh, you get November 26, 1973, on this little road in France, and uh, people were sitting in a car there, and all of a sudden a craft came out of the sky, landed in a field, two what you might call greys got out. After them, two uh, sort of six very tall humans, human-looking people got out. They used, to, they used to call them the Nordics. And then after that, an ape-like creature got out. The others were kind of looking around, but this ape-like creature, you know, presumably some sort of Bigfoot kind of thing, uh, is standing by um, the craft. And then they all left later. You know, so, <laughs> and the people saw this. So, I mean, if that's as, as advertised, that you've got, you know, Bigfoot, uh, possibly associated with a UFO experience and uh, that sort of thing, and that that's not not all that rare. Um, Bigfoot as a um, 
multiversal creature. Uh, the natives will say, well, there's a shapeshifter. He'd be there one minute, not, you know, and gone the next. And so there's all kinds of blending that may not have been seen before, but is being seen uh, to a greater extent now. I think, though, one of the, one of the benefits, I think, of every all the stuff that we're going through, all the growing pains that we're going through with the paranormal in the last you know, 10 or 15 years, I think will pay off dividends later on with this younger generation of researchers who are coming up who are going to say, you know, we, we, can, we can be open to all of these possibilities because we, it's kind of like a buffet of what you want to believe in some cases and, 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 and what avenues you want to pursue because you really can't go wrong with any of them. If you want to start looking into ghosts as being, you know, a view into the multiverse, if you want to take the idea that maybe they're, they're uh, dead souls who, who haven't gone to their next destination, but maybe you also think that there's some sort of, you know, beta wave connection amongst all this stuff and it's human consciousness that's putting it out, you can grab all that yeah. and you can start or to... Or all meld- of the above. Exactly. You can meld all these things together and have a perspective that is far more wide open and far less limiting than the way that people of, of even my generation and, and certainly you know so, people like yourself who laid the groundwork for it, we had limitations in how far we were willing to go and, and kind of what our minds could take. And now it seems like those barriers will be uh, knocked down even further for, for the next wave. I hope so. Uh, but I don't know. I still have um, despair of those who say that, well, I'm going to prove this to science one way or the other. Well, I think in many ways they might be trying to measure a basketball with a yardstick. It ain't going to work, mm-hmm. you know, because science is is on a different level, and is uh, the scientific method is based on a materialistic ass- assumption that the universe is matter and uh, energy, which is really the effect of matter on other matter, and, and it's it's just far too small. Uh, if what we're dealing with is not just some, some sort of undiscovered science, which it probably is. But uh, quantum physics is driving the buggy, too, because, you know, it, it's pushing the boundaries. It's talking about uh, complete fantasy at the subatomic level, you know, particles uh, traversing enormous spaces uh, without uh, moving in, really in between and uh, causes taking place before the effects that cause them. Um, science, I'll, I'll give a perfect example. Uh, our... Um, very uh, capable casting producer for our show uh, lives in New York City, and uh, she's also she, she just moonlights as the casting producer. She's an old because she's an old friend of mine. Uh, she's a behavioral scientist, and uh, her uh, degrees all you know after her name, and she comes out and she says, you know, I've never heard this point of view before, because the sciences don't talk to each other mm-hmm. generally. You know, so the, the science is as much of a problem as, as paranormal research is. When it comes to getting anywhere. And I, and I feel the same way. I've been kind of pushing the last couple of years myself that I tend to think that ghosts aren't <clears throat> any type of physical being that we will be able to measure and quantify and qualify. That I, I look at it more as a ghost is an, an, is an emotion. It's an emotional state. And it's not just like you can't measure love and just as you can't measure fear or anger, but you can feel them and you can... You can tell when that feeling is being put out in the room, and you can pick up on that, and you can be perceptive of it. I feel like ghosts are kind of the same thing. It's like an emotional imprint that's that's still around, but it's still still alive. In you know, no pun intended. <laughs> well, everything's alive. I mean, if you were dead, you'd be dead. You wouldn't be doing anything. Right. But I, th- I think you're you're that that's a progressive view, uh, Tim. Certainly, because you're recognizing, for one thing. The relationship between the person experiencing uh, the phenomenon and the phenomenon itself. 
I think that in itself is progress and can lead to, to bigger and better things. So uh, it's all good. I love I love that argument too. I love getting into that fight with people about you know the whole if a tree falls and nobody hears it, did it really make a noise? And I feel the same way about you know paranormal stuff. It, it it doesn't happen if there isn't somebody there to perceive it. The human element, even if it means that you're just watching security footage, you know, three months later and discovering that a chair moved on its own. That stuff cannot exist without there being the the end result of somebody observing it and, and having and the fact that the camera was there meant there was observation to begin with. It has to be observed to, to exist. There has to be that final stage of everything being all uh, able to all come together. Well, I'm sure you're warming the hearts of both Werner Heisenberg and Shane Searway right now because Heisenberg's uncertainty principle was the idea in quantum physics that uh, something can be either a, a wave or a particle depending on who's looking at it and when. Uh, and then Shane's idea that that's people that are really uh, quote unquote haunted, not places as such. So, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, we're making we're we're making progress here. I put that theory out in a lecture, and I literally said after it, "Say my name." And somebody said Heisenberg. I said, "You're damn right." So it worked, right. it worked right. out that way. Uh, but one of the the one of the things that I find the most fascinating, at least in recent years, as people have kind of opened up more to this, is the fact that the despite what you see on television, and despite what you see on on some of the paranormal shows that you know even even I work on, the fear element is going away from a lot of this. And I almost feel like I did a lecture on this last year at the Ocean State Paracon about it's okay to be afraid. You know, it's okay to keep that fear. You don't want to become numb to this stuff so much because then you're missing a key element of being able to experience it and a key element of keeping mm-hmm. yourself observational to things. Do you, When you go into a case that you're investigating and researching, I mean, obviously you're not going to be afraid of the result, but do you still have that same trepidation toward walking toward the unknown that that keeps you sharp and keeps you on your toes well this goes into my personal spirituality uh i maintain my own rule of prayer and meditation uh and training to keep the mind clear okay uh and to recognize certain stimuli when they occur just from past experience so i'll go into a case i and almost always now ben is with me and i'd have him by my side anytime i mean he's it's like i feel naked if he's not there uh 12 years now he's been he's been working with me and he is the same way although he operates kind of on a different level uh he's been known to levitate and to go into deep trances and things like this and that's been caught on camera uh but I, i don't do that kind of thing uh, Lorraine Warren told me I could, but I, I didn't want to do that. But no, I think uh, if you keep the grounding and the the, the mind clear and um, the senses open for the stimuli, um, I at least don't have any, any problem with um, – I'll walk into anything. I mean, I've walked into the middle of fields uh, of, of energy and seen – Parasites that I later photographed. That's what I believe they are, anyway. So, no, um, yeah, no, no. Maybe it's because you know I'm in my mid 60s now, and there's very little left to be afraid of. So maybe that's part of it too. So, um, but again, you, I, I agree with you 100. percent But I think maybe the older you are, uh, it might be a little easier. Uh, at least for me, it, it's been. Because yeah, you know, I mean, I used to get freaked out. Now I get more afraid about you know where I am and you know what I'm walking into in the dark. You know, I'm more afraid. Like, for example, we did an event a, a couple. I think last year we did an event at uh, Venford Hall up in uh, Lenox, Massachusetts. 
beautiful building. It's where they filmed the Cider House Rules. And all kinds oh, of yeah. weird paranormal stuff was going on. Didn't phase me one bit. But, man, when that bat got caught in the basement and was flying right by my face, <laughs> that's when I was done. <laughs> oh, sure. No bats. Well, you know, with, with a particular technique that, that I use anyway, at least I believe I'm, I'm projecting ahead. Uh, because, remember, uh, <clears throat> there is no five minutes from now. It's it's happening right now. There is no five minutes ago. It's happening right, right. It's what what Ben and I call uh, multiverse awareness. You know, you, you, and uh, you have to be careful with that because if, if you uh, start being aware of too many worlds and times, they'll fill your pockets full of antipsychotic drugs and guys like uh, me from the seminary be visiting you, you know. <laughs> so you want to avoid that. And uh, <clears throat> so as you move ahead, you have a sense of what is happening around you and I find that I'm warned um most of the time, uh, with, with the, what I believe was a Bigfoot experience, first I ever had, totally unexpected. You, you know how things happen totally unexpectedly right. in these situations. Uh, in Pennsylvania, last September, I just looked to my right. There it was. Well, I mean, you know, a couple hundred feet away. It wasn't right next to me. But wa- walking right up in the, br- the brilliant moonlight. And I, w- I was looking for strange lights in the sky, which we'd gotten photographs of uh, right next to this house that was having a shadow person problem. So... Um, yeah, I'm still surprised, but I'm not frightened. Maybe that's dumb. Maybe because there are things you should be frightened of. But I wasn't. You know, I, I just uh, again, maybe it's my age. I don't know. But that's that's me. So I just say be grounded. Well, I mean, as long yeah, as long as you're not putting yourself in a position where you know you don't feel. You know, every time I go into a place, I feel like I'm going to come back out on the other side just fine. And I think oh yeah, no. If you're uncomfortable, no, you you, you don't go blundering into recklessly into situations that, that are dangerous no, in any way. That's just how I live my regular life. Sure, <laughs> not the paranormal yeah. stuff. You know, but this uh, is just an extension of that. I, I do feel though that I, f- as as people do put themselves in these situations, they can become. I, I don't want to say numb to it, but they can become to the point where it takes a lot to surprise them. It takes a lot to really jar them and I think that that actually well, that's is, where I am I guess and I think that that's a fine way to be because then that means that you're not going to get thrown a lot of curveballs uh, but as long as you're able to do that and not get to the point where you become apathetic about it that's that's when you get into oh absolutely problem. right yeah and so and, and it must also have been reinvigorating for you as well when Ben started coming along with you on these investigations because now you're experiencing things even before you start to realize that he does things a different way than you and before he came into his own as an investigator, you're just having a new set of eyes with you all the time that's going through and, and experiencing the same wonders that you did once before. Oh, that's well put because that's exactly how I feel, Tim. You know, and, and uh, it, it took a little while to get used to him sort of collapsing on the ground and, and being inert for five minutes or that so. That would worry me as a father <laughs> more than as an that's, investigator, right? That's the shaman thing. Essentially, he doesn't, he doesn't like to talk about that, but that's essentially what that is. And he would be become nauseous uh, very often uh, until he became a vegetarian. When he didn't eat meat, everything was fine. And if, if and I would tell people not to touch him because they themselves would become nauseous if they were meat eaters. I mean, there, wow. there are levels to this that I never imagined before. But you know, Ben operates on a different level than I do, and it's it's great to be with him. Um, people write to us from all over the world. Gee, I wish I had anything anything at all in common with my son. But uh, you know we don't agree on everything, but we uh, we sort of work as as a as a good team. We, you know we we work on different levels, and I think it's kind of complementary. And uh, before we run out of time, let's let everybody know uh, about the radio show. Uh, I know that tomorrow you're having a, a rebroadcast uh, because of the holiday, but that you know you you guys do bring out fresh content all the time on on your show. Yeah, we usually live every week. Uh, it's uh, on uh, WOON twelve forty. It's just 
jiggle the numbers. It's the same call letters as yours, but <laughs> right. 1240 uh, out of northern Rhode Island, Boston Providence uh, market. And it's called Behind the Paranormal um, with Paul and Ben Eno. No, um, just Paul and Ben Eno. And uh, we have uh, – sometimes we take the show ourselves. Uh, other times we have uh, the best guests we can find. I'd like to have you on sometime, Tim. And sure. uh, <clears throat> you've never been on. And it's uh, noon to one, and uh, the website is behindtheparanormal.com. Uh, if you can't catch the show live, you can um, – there are over 700 hours of broadcasts uh, free uh, on the uh, on that site, including some podcasts that uh, we did uh, on site with – different things and uh it's all free and uh you know go crazy it's, it's great behind the paranormal.com well we thank you very much for coming back and joining us sorry it took so long to reconnect with you and it certainly won't be 11 years before we have you back on again i wasn't in my 60s yet for pete's sake <laughs> hey we were all younger then that's right <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and certainly, uh, again, if people want to pick up the current book, the new book, uh, it's out right now. You can get it. It's called Behind the Paranormal. Everything you know is wrong, and it's, listen, you can't argue with that, <laughs> especially <laughs> with some of the stuff that we've talked about here tonight, and they can pick that right up on, on BehindTheParanormal.com, right? That's right, or, or it's in most of the stores still, so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us. Uh, give our best to, to Ben and the rest of the family, and a happy Easter to you. It was a rousing time, Tim. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. That is Paul Eno, and we will certainly not wait that long to talk with him again because a fascinating discussion. Again, you know, we touched on areas that I think a lot of people hadn't opened their minds to, and that's what happened. Again, we were fortunate enough to have that happen to us on the second ever Spooky South Coast to say, hey, you know what? We're just getting into talking about this topic. Let's shake things up a little bit right at the beginning. And that did a, a fantastic job of making sure that we didn't become complacent in what we thought about what ghosts could be, about what the paranormal is in general. And I think that that has paid dividends for us over the years. Uh, you know, certainly if I had to sit here and, and just subscribe to one theory of what I thought this stuff was, this show never would have lasted as long, mainly because most of the guests would have gone against what I thought. And I think that it would also would have kind of gone against the experiences that I later had. So I'm glad that from the very beginning we were able to take things from a different perspective. And one of the other things that I want to thank Paul and, and that mindset for over the years is it's always made it so that I never discount what somebody else says. So I, I didn't come into it with a jaded point of view because right from the beginning – I'm hearing something that completely differs from what I think from somebody who has been doing it a lot longer than I had been because even at that point I hadn't even really been doing it. I'd just been reading about it and listening to shows about it and things like that. But I think that that's kind of made me understand other people's experiences better too. So going back to that question we had at the beginning of the hour, you know, how do you get involved in this? First and foremost, number one rule, don't get involved in it if you think you already know the answer because you don't. Like the book says, everything you know is wrong. So if you just go into it with that perspective, with that mindset, and realize that you're doing it to learn and to experience and to broaden your horizons, you'll be better off. Well, that about does it for this week's show. Uh, next week, we will be at Salem Con. Again, I'm going to try and get something recorded if I can. If not, don't worry. There's 494 shows that will be in the archive for you by then. You can go back and check out some of those. Maybe even go all the way back to the very early archives and check out the first episode with Paul Eno, uh, plus you know the hundreds and hundreds of other shows that we've done over the years, both through the podcast, through the audio podcast, and the stuff that we have up on YouTube as well. 
you'll be fine. But, of course, you can always just come out to SalemCon and hang out with Stephanie and myself as well. Uh, we will certainly come back and share with you all of our adventures from that the week after. Until next week, for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Chris, I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular, everybody.